Amen. Uh, If you would then take your Bibles up and turn to Luke chapter 14, uh, beginning at verse 12, Luke 14, 12, and following the reading of uh, scripture, we will sing together the Gloria Patri printed for you in your bulletins. Please stand for the reading of God's holy word. When Jesus said to his host, then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they will invite you back and you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And when one of those at the table with with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I have just gotten married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master, and the owner of the house became angry. And he ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. Amen. And God will add his blessing to this reading of his word. We are continuing continuing to reflect on how we might show our gratitude to God for his great deliverance from our sin and misery and thinking through the issue of prayer, using the Lord's Prayer as our pattern. When we come to the second petition, there are six petitions in the Lord's Prayer, three that are directed to the glory and honor of God, three that are directed to your needs. Uh, Those directed to the glory of God, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, and thy will be done. And the three directed to your needs, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So we come to the second petition, your kingdom come. And it logically follows from the first one, hallowed be your name, then your kingdom come. It is in a sense the means by which the first request is is answered. We pray for God's name to be hallowed. Now here we're praying for his kingdom to come. But when we come to this request, reflecting on the first one, we realize it brings us up to an issue, the problem. And that is, 
we prayed that God's name would be honored by us and all men, but it's not. Um, And why isn't it honored by us and all men? Well, it's because of the presence of sin. It's because of the uh, sin and darkness in our world. It's the presence of a rival kingdom. It's a kingdom that is fighting against the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have a reminder of that in a variety of scriptures. Now, I want to read, I'm going to read a number of scriptures in the the sermon today that I'm not going to have you turning to. There will be one passage in a few moments we'll turn to. But in, we're, we're reminded of this fact, this rival kingdom in scripture in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. But even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds <clears throat> the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Uh, there's a, a rival kingdom, a rival authority. He's not a king. <clears throat> He's referred to as a prince in that text, the God of this age. But he is fighting against honoring God's name, hallowing God's name. Now, turn, to, if you would, to Ephesians. And you can stay in Ephesians. We'll come back to it. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. We have here the reminder, too, of this rival kingdom. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. There's this battle that's going on this rival kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. And so when we pray, uh, hallowed be your name, it's, uh, it's, it's not being done because of this rival kingdom. So then we pray, your kingdom come. Well, as we think about what we're praying for in that request, I want to begin by saying, what are we not praying for? Well, first, we're not praying for Christ to become king because he is king. He doesn't need to become king. He is the king. And he's been king along with the Father and the Holy Spirit. They've been the Lord and king. They're God, the creator. They've been the Lord of all creation. Jesus Christ is the king. He doesn't need to become the king. The second thing we're not praying for is we're not praying for his providential kingdom to come because it's already here. It's already always been here. When God created the heavens and the earth, he immediately began his providential kingdom over all that he has made. So we're not praying for God's providence to come and reign over us. It already does. So we're not praying for that. We're not praying for God to get everything under control. That's kind of a parallel to his providence because he already has everything under control. In Psalm 103, 19, it says, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. God is the king of all the universe and has been since he created it. And he has his lordship and his kingship over all. 
Nebuchadnezzar, in his humiliation, had to acknowledge this. Uh, He says, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He, God, does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? We're not praying for God to get control of everything. He has control of everything. Uh, We even know from the book of Job that made it clear that Satan is under God's control. Uh, A fourth thing we're not praying for, we're not praying for an earthly political kingdom. There may be some who might not totally agree with everything I'm about to say on this, but we're praying for God's kingdom to come and it will have an impact in our world. It will impact our society and our culture It'll impact our lives and it might impact on occasion even our political process. But we're not praying for an earthly kingdom in the sense of a political kingdom. Uh, When uh, the Pharisees came to Jesus and asked him when the kingdom of God would come, his answer to them is the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will you say Look, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. And more properly, probably translated, the kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God was there because the king was there. Uh, He says, uh, Jesus says to to Nicodemus in John 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again... He cannot see the kingdom of God. The kingdom of of God is there to be seen, but you can't see it unless your heart's been changed, unless you've been redeemed. Uh, Jesus speaks to Pilate when he was interrogating him, and he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews but now my kingdom is not from here. It doesn't mean his kingdom isn't in the world, but it's not of this world. And Paul helps us appreciate it even more when he says, though we walk in the flesh, we don't wage war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to obedience to Christ. The church conquered the Roman Empire by the preaching of the gospel. And in later history, when misguided Christians sought to capture Jerusalem by the power of the sword uh, may be well-meaning, but it was a disgrace. It was a shameful thing. We don't conquer by the sword, except, if you want to say it this way, by the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. That's our weapon. That's the weapon of our warfare. And so we pray, thy kingdom come. What do we mean when we talk about the kingdom? I've told you a few things, maybe it's not. What do do we mean when we talk about the kingdom? To be able to pray this, what is it that we're praying for? 
Well, there's a few things we can say about the kingdom. In one sense, most simply, the kingdom of God is where the reign of God is received and followed and obeyed. Uh, the kingdom of God, on the, on the one hand, is, has already come. It's already in this world. It's already been established. We're not waiting for the kingdom of God to come in the future. <clears throat> not the kingdom of Christ. It's already here. John the Baptist, when he preached... He said, uh, preaching in the wilderness, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He was anticipating it coming. Even Jesus in his very first preaching had the same message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But then later on in his ministry, when the Pharisees were slandering him and saying, well, you're casting out demons by the prince of demons. Jesus says to them. In contrasting himself with their followers who are, who are actually the ones casting <clears throat> demons out by the power of the king of demons, the, the, the prince of demons. He says, but if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, then surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of God is here. It's already come because the king has come. In a more general sense, the kingdom of God was always over all the world, but specifically the kingdom of Christ came when the king came. It's been established. It's here. Uh, The second thing we can say about the kingdom is the kingdom of God is present in the hearts and lives of those who submit to him. Uh, Those who are members of the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God, are those who love and obey him, who hear him. Uh, as he said to Nicodemus, that when you're born again, you can see the kingdom of God. You can see God at work. The writer of Hebrews, remember, told us that we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's in part of our life now. We're looking forward to the fulfillment of that. But even now we're in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. God's purposes can never be overthrown. They can never be thwarted. Jesus kingdom will endure forever. And it lives, it dwells in the hearts of those who love and follow Christ. But the kingdom of God in all its fullness is yet to come. Uh, The kingdom of Christ in this world is uh, sometimes referred to as the kingdom of grace. It's where grace is operative. It's the rule of Christ and grace operative in the lives of those who follow him. But there is a king of glory that we long for and we wait for. Uh, Jesus said, I tell you in Matthew 8, 11, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. There is a kingdom of glory yet to come. Uh, Peter says, an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul says, the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. And the kingdom of grace and the kingdom of glory are not different kingdoms. 
It's not that there's that one and another one. They're all this, they're the same kingdom, but differ only in degree. The kingdom of grace is present with us now. And we look forward to the great glorious arrival of the kingdom of glory. But it's the same kingdom, just differing in degree, but not in nature. <clears throat> The great kingdom of grace, in a sense, is the seed. The kingdom of glory is the fruit. Uh, So if you're still in Ephesians 2, we see the process of our transformation from being in the kingdom of darkness to be in the kingdom of grace. There in those first two verses, we looked at we were dead in trespasses and sins. We walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Then Paul continues, uh, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So here you see the transformation. We were in the kingdom of darkness and we were conducting our lives according to that kingdom of darkness But God intervened and he saved us by his grace. He raised us together with Christ, made us alive together with Christ and has seated us with him in the heavenly places so that you and I now are in the kingdom of grace. And in, in principle and in hope, we are actually seated in the kingdom of glory with Christ In the heavenly places. And it's what theologians refer to as the already and the not yet. We're already in Christ. And experiencing in him all the blessedness of his kingdom of grace. And yet we look forward to that one day when we will be fully with him in the kingdom of glory. And it will all be fulfilled And one more verse here in Ephesians 2, verse 7, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. It's the fulfillment of Jesus' work in the kingdom of grace. So what are we praying for exactly when we pray, thy kingdom come? We have this wonderful question and answer in the heart of our catechism. I want to read a parallel question and answer out of our shorter catechism. And what do we pray for in the second petition? In the second petition, which is, thy kingdom come, we pray that Satan's kingdom may be destroyed, that the kingdom of grace may be advanced, ourselves and others brought into it and kept in it, and that the kingdom of glory may be hastened. So we have three things in that answer that we're praying for, and it parallels what's in the Heidelberg Catechism. We pray that the kingdom of Satan would be destroyed. We ask for the kingdom of darkness to be thwarted and overthrown. 
And the way that's accomplished in part is that people are brought into the kingdom of grace, that the kingdom of grace may be advanced through the ministry of the church, through the preaching of the gospel, that the kingdom of grace would be advanced, that we'd be brought into it and others kept in, and, and, uh, and others brought into it and us kept in it. And then we pray that the kingdom of glory would be hastened. Lord, <clears throat> come Lord Jesus. Come quickly. We know it's in his time. We long for his appearing. And we desire that. But when we pray, thy kingdom come, part of what we're praying for is, <clears throat> Lord, hurry up. Come on back. We're ready for you. Uh, we're praying that the kingdom of glory may be hastened. Children's Catechism, as always, has a, such a nice, simple <clears throat> answer to this question as well. What do we pray for in the second petition? That the gospel, And the answer is that the gospel may be preached in all the world and believed and obeyed by us and all men. We want Christ's kingdom to advance in this world. We want to be a part of it. We want it to see it be victorious. <clears throat> so we're praying to, to boil that down to two things. Is you're praying that the kingdom of grace would progress in the ministry of the church. It's our heart's desire that the, the preaching of the word would break men's hearts. And they would be gripped with the truth of that. And they would surrender their lives to Christ and worship and follow him. We're praying for the success of the gospel. That's what we're praying for. God, make it happen. In a hymn that we're going to sing in a few moments, How Sweet and Awesome is the Place, the <clears throat> final stanza is the heartbeat of our desire in this prayer. We long to see thy churches full that all the chosen race may with one voice and heart and soul sing thy redeeming grace. <laughs> That's what we want. That's what we're praying for. And the second thing we're praying for is that eternal kingdom to come. Your prayer and my prayer needs to be dominated with a <clears throat> focus on the glory of God. We need to be praying, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. And as we'll look at next time, thy will be done. The glory of God needs to dominate our prayer life. And may that be the case as we boldly come to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for the instruction given to us by Christ in how to pray. <clears throat> we thank you so much for the richness of your love. We thank you for your kingdom that is at, in this world and at work and in conquering the hearts of uh, men, women, boys and girls to, for Christ. We pray that that would be the case through this, this ministry and, <clears throat> and in, our, in our city in our nation and throughout the world. May the, the testimony of Christ be used in a powerful way to call your people to yourself. And we do long for the day when uh, the pain and the 
the discouragements and the sufferings of this world will be done away and we will be with your people, with you and your people in the full glory of the heavenly kingdom. Help us to keep these focuses in mind as we pray uh, to you uh, day by day. And we ask that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.